Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, Haunties. Today's episode is going to be a little different because today is a bonus Mm -hmm. episode. Each month, Let's Get Haunted brings you four spooky stories from around the world once a week on Wednesdays. And in months where there are five Wednesdays, the final Wednesday of the month usually won't have an episode on it. However, because we hate ourselves and also have been covering a very interesting story, we decided that we are going to do a bonus episode. This is something we've never done before. This is like a follow-up episode to the Doddleston messages. So if this is your first time to listen to this podcast, this is not the episode to listen to if it's your first time this is is like really not a good decision because (laughs) this is a unique episode that's literally just a follow-up episode if you're confused we are too uh (laughs) we talked about a long time like how we were gonna sort this month out and if we put this episode um before the listener stories episode we just recorded so that would it would have been donaldson one two three bonus that would have been great but it would have messed up our numerical system for eternity i'm sorry we had traumatized everyone by like just leaving them with this crazy fucking (laughs) story where there was no resolution and then literally like I've just been thinking about it ever since then. So if you have n- have no idea what we're talking about, go back and listen to Doddleston messages one, two, and three, and then come to this episode. Otherwise, you're just ruining the fun for yourself. Exactly. And as Natalia explained, this was a very special month where we did something unprecedented. Let's get haunted. Usually we just give you a tale and then we leave you to it. We leave you to it and then we move on as if that tale never happened and we go directly into another tale but this month was a special month we covered one story the entire month Mm -hmm. splitting it up into three different parts so to round out our mind-bending series on the mystery of the Doddleston messages we have decided to release a bonus episode today the fifth Wednesday of August to tie up any loose ends discuss the theories behind the paranormal phenomena and just generally talk about our feelings and thoughts that we have surrounding the paranormal phenomena which occurred in Meadow Cottage between the years of 1984 and 1986. So before Mm -hmm. we get into that, if you have not listened to parts one, two, and three, expand the show notes right now. Final call. There I will have the bit.ly's for parts one, two, and three. Go back, give them a listen, have an existential crisis, then come back to this episode. If you're brand new to the show, At the very top of the show notes, it will say skip to and then a timestamp. You can skip to that time at any time. Otherwise, we are about to get into our final thoughts, feelings, theories about the Doddleston messages. Natalia, do you have any personal hauntings that you'd like to share this week? Mm, I don't know. Let me think about it. You you tell me your personal haunting and then I'll think about one. I have a personal haunting. I wanted to mention it last time, but then we had like this weird four hour long episode for part three of the Doddleston messages. And so we just did not have time. But there was somebody that I met recently who was talking to me about aliens and stuff. And this person does not know I have a paranormal podcast. It was like a family friend of somebody that I know. And he told me unprompted that he has a friend that works at Jet Propulsion Laboratory, 
which if you guys don't know what that is, um, it is a federally funded research and development center in Pasadena, California. The Let's Get Haunted studio is located in Los Angeles, California, so not not super far away. And it's currently um, owned and sponsored by NASA. So mm-hmm. it's basically this lab where they construct um, like robotic spacecraft that they send out to do like unmanned missions in our solar system. And this person I was talking to said they have a friend who works at Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And like 10 years ago, this friend was talking to him and was like, hey, um, you should go on our website if you're interested in the topic of aliens. And you should look up our stereo program, stereo, Mm -hmm. S-T-E-R-E-O. And this person I was talking to was like, why? Like, why are you being weird? They were just like drinking together, I guess, at a barbecue. And it was super late at night. And the guy was like, I can't tell you anything else. All I'm saying is just look into the stereo program. So the following day, when this dude wakes up from his hangover, he's like, "Okay, I'm going to go on the JPL website. I'm going to look and see if I can find information on stereo. So he goes on JPL.com and goes to the search bar and types in stereo program. And he said this web page popped up that was documenting JPL has a program allegedly to look at and track and monitor five wormholes that have been found on Earth that are located at different points on planet Earth and JPL is monitoring them. So then he was later talking to another friend that he has that works at JPL and was like, hey, um, you know, what's up with this stereo program? I was drinking with so-and-so and they told me to look this up and like, is this a joke? Like, is this just like some weird inside joke you guys have to like prank the normies? Maybe like you drink with people and then you tell them to look this up and you have a good laugh. And he was on the phone with his friend and his friend went dead silent and said, how do you know about stereo? And he's like, well, it's on your website. If you search it, it pops up. He said his friend immediately hung up the phone. And the guy was like, wow, that was kind of weird. Whatever. Must be some weird prank. He ended up having to go to work. Later that night, he was thinking about it more. And he was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go find that web page about stereo again and like read more about it because he didn't have a lot of time before. The page had been taken down. Wait, but why was it up there in the first place? So then he went back to the first guy that he was drinking with and was like, can you just explain to me? Because now I'm like more confused than ever. I feel like I've just been pranked. I don't understand. And he was like, oh, well, it was some sort of error where it wasn't supposed to be up. Like somebody at JPL, they had like done something administratively where they had hired somebody to like modify the website and whatever, redo some stuff. And I guess somebody had published it without like any of the higher ups knowledge. And then as soon as the guy I was talking to um, like was trying to figure out what it was, they like somehow it got reported up the chain of command and got taken down. So I don't know. He was like, and he, he was like not pranking me for sure. I don't know if he was being pranked originally, but yeah, it was something called the stereo program that monitors different wormholes that are throughout the planet earth. And one of them is supposed to be at Skinwalker Ranch. I mean, that's not the first time that I've heard that Skinwalker Ranch was a wormhole. I have so many questions. I'm I'm probably don't have the answers. Okay. Damn it. 
But I'm hoping, I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because I'm hoping that there's somebody out there whose dad works at JPL or whose grandpa worked at JPL that can like write into us, let's get haunted pod at gmail.com or comment on the photo dump at let's get haunted on Instagram for this episode and tell me if I, if like this is a giant prank that like people mm-hmm. that work at JPL and NASA like regularly pull or if this is real, I want it to be real. And mm. if it's real, tell me what you have heard about it. I, yeah, I just wonder, like, why did that one guy leak it to the friend? That's the only thing that seems... Because they were drinking together. And so he's just like, let me tell you about the aliens. (laughs) So my, like, great uncle, I want to say, he worked on the Manhattan Project. And there's this story that has circulated throughout my family forever where my uncle was talking to his uncle, my great uncle. I think that's how it works. And they were drinking and it was like late at night and he just kept bugging him, bugging him, bugging him throughout the night. Like, hey, tell me about like the aliens. Tell me about like, are UFOs real? Are aliens real? Whatever. And eventually my great uncle supposedly got like really fed up and was like, don't fucking ask me that ever again. All I'm going to say is that there are things out there that you will never understand And, like, it is what it is. Well, of course, nobody's going to leave that alone. So throughout the (laughs) night, they keep fucking pestering him. And they kept getting him drunker and drunker on purpose just to see, like, if he would slip up. And then um, my uncle was like, so what, like, what's the deal with Area 51? Tell me, tell me, like, is that where the aliens are? Is that where the Roswell crashes? Whatever, like, teasing him. And then eventually he just, like, broke and was like, the aliens aren't there anymore. And then he was like, oh. Like, and then left, immediately left whatever family get-together they were at. Yeah. So I have heard stories where, like, people get drunk and are being badgered and then eventually let something slip. So I don't know. It's just, like, it's hard for me to believe that a secret as big as there's alien life could, like, stay a secret. But then I think of it as, like, okay, maybe the whole world is, like, high school. And you know how the popular kids have secret knowledge about things. You know what I mean? They, like, know about, like, secret parties that no one else knew about. They know about, like, gossip that, like, us plebe regular kids don't even know about. Like, we don't know about, like, popular girl gave a handjob to popular guy. (laughs) But, like, the popular people do. You know what I mean? I wonder if it's like that. If it's, like, they're sitting at the table that that no one else is allowed at. That's annoying to me. I hate being unpopular. Somebody else has to have a stupid story like that where their great uncle did some shit at Area 51 or like the first wife of their, you know, second cousin from a previous marriage, yeah. you know, knew someone at JPL that I, traveled through a wormhole. Like, fucking tell me. I, I want to know. Like these like military things stay secret for so long. Like, I don't want to dox this person, so I'm just going to say someone I know who's very old. They're in their 90s. I was asking them questions about their – because they used to be a spy. I had heard they used to be a spy. And they know how to speak different languages. They were a spy during the Korean War, War, so they know how to speak Korean. And this is someone that you would look at and think they do not know how to speak Korean. So I – being a child thought it was very cool and I like went up to them and I was like oh I heard you were a spy like you can speak Korean tell me like everything and their face just went like really white and they were like oh no no I don't we don't talk about that uh that's not really something I can talk about and I just like forgot about it and then as I got older as an adult 
I asked someone who knows this person, hey, were they just saying to me as a kid, like, I can't talk about this because it was so traumatic, the experience? Or are they saying they can't talk about it because they were in the CIA and it's like their cover and they can't talk about it? And that person said, I think it's both. But they were like, yeah, it was not a good time. Like they were freezing. They were in this uh, giant silo that was in Korea and it was like covered in snow. And, and, you know, they were undercover, like they couldn't come out for months at a time. And they were just trying to crack codes and stuff like that. And, and I mean, that was, this person's fucking 90 years old. That was, and still doesn't want to talk about it. Exactly. Still doesn't want to talk about it. And I'm like, all the people that, that like, are relevant in your field like all of your officers whatever they're probably fucking dead right now you know so like why does it matter um do you like yeah i don't know it's hard for me to understand how people don't just leak secrets because like i do <laughs> and and that's why you and i will never be privy to any of these secrets but by god i would like to try so if any of you know about this wormhole thing from jpl called wow. the stereo program let me know if any of you uh, have relatives with secret spy information. Let us know. We love it. You know what I think of it as? I think of it as gossip. Gossip is yeah. gossip because it's not confirmed, but it's just too right. juicy to, to like not spread. Yeah. So if you have some juicy um, alien scientific um, conspiracy gossip, mm. leave it. Leave it in the comments at Let's Get Haunted. Or yeah. if you want to be anonymous, email it to us because we definitely won't leak your name because... Um, we'll just like forget that you ever said anything about it. And yeah. so we'll say it in one episode and then forget. Agreed. And speaking of our listeners, I would love to give a big shout out to our patrons that remain in the month of August that we have not already shouted out. Mark R, Andy, Lexitronic, Juliet H, Juliet H, Jess C, Gracie G, Kathy L, Sarah R, Kato L, Rue Loved, Jacqueline L, Lena V, Lena V, Veronica W, Rachel T, Alyssa B, Libby G, Bloody Type Long Black, Brie R, Amira C, Amira C, Dan the Blacksmith, who big shout out to Dan because he actually helped me with some of the stuff we're going to be talking about in this episode. Sinister, Angie R, Olivia S, Noah B, Spencer G, Zenobia H. Shout out Zenobia. I know Zenobia because she helped us um, with our hemp hearings uh, in 2020. Mumble, Manny of the Mad Mansion, Justin K, Jessica, Josie J, Beanies and Bread, Leanna BC, Chance the Reaper, Tazwar K, Valkyrie, Hannah M, Honey, Melinda Z, Bill Borden, Bill Burden, Francis C, Rachy Face, Rose D, Olivia M, Natasha M, Sophia M, April May, Jordan L, Savvy, and Brenna G. Thank you all so, so much. And if you would like to hear your name shouted out on a future episode, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted. Sign up for tier one or tier two. Each tier comes with its own unique items that you can partake in that you can read or watch natalia do you want to give a quick uh recap of what we've uploaded on there in the month of august so the first two weeks of august i was very active i uploaded a fuck ton of blogs and content on there um but the last two weeks of august i haven't been as active this beginning of september i'm going to be really active but i i'm trying to plan my wedding right now and um 
because I'm doing it at the beginning of February, I have a date and I have a venue. I have to get all of this shit done before because the wedding industry is like such a scam that they want you to have your dress like six months before, which is just dumb to me. And uh, it's all this stuff. So I really only have like a two year, two week period here to like get all these deposits. And I'm doing it in another country. Al- Alyssa has put up some baking videos. She put some amazing uh, UFO congressional recap videos up there this month. Not one, but two. And I also put a video up there telling everyone that my hair is going gray. So if you guys like the podcast and you want to support us, the easiest way to do that is to become patrons on Patreon. There you're going to see the, the real Nat and Allie. And that is the best way to get to know us. There are two tiers on there starting at $5. $5 a month. You get the filmed listener stories episodes. And every once in a while we'll throw in, uh, just some random things on there. Tier two, you get all of what tier one gets. Plus all of our bonus content, which would be like vlogs. Uh, yeah. And anything else we want to put on there. So the and if you're like, you know what, I really, I, I like their show, but I really don't care about them at all. But I want to support them because I like their show. You can just sign up for the Patreon and not look at anything ever and not interact. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is a great way to support us. And we would really appreciate that because uh, as of right now, we're funding this show ourselves. And I think we're doing a pretty professional job. Also, everyone, do me a favor right now. Comment on this photo dump and tell Allie how grateful you are for her. Because she has been doing a lot of work behind the scenes this month. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That um, I am not doing because I just started a new job and I'm trying to plan this wedding in two weeks. So <laughs> she <laughs> has been doing a lot that hopefully we are going to see some of those pans that are in the fire come to fruition here in the next couple of weeks. I know we've been saying that for months, but yeah. now I really think it is. So God, I hope. Yeah. 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 But, you know, regardless of whether or not anything ever publicly benefits us, you know what always benefits us? Like Nat said, the patrons. We really rely and are so grateful on you guys that have decided to support us in private or in public. And we have, as Nat said, vlogs. We have bonus content. Mm -hmm. We have the video version of all of our listener stories episodes. We have personal content, Nat horse vlogs, Nat hiking vlogs, um, Allie baking uh, a tart. Um, (laughs) And then there's also, for those of you that are not aware, the pinned post at the top of our Patreon is an exclusive Patreon exclusive poster. We do still have some posters left. I have seen a couple DMs of people being a little bit confused about how to navigate Patreon. It's definitely a learning curve. Um, But if you just go to patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted and log in, just give the web page a second to load. And then the very first post at the top that is pinned to the top of the Patreon should be instructions on how to get the exclusive poster. And who knows, maybe we'll if it's successful and people like getting their exclusive merch that way, maybe we'll go ahead and make another Patreon exclusive. You just never know with us because we, we don't even know what we're doing next week. It's getting cozy (sighs) time. So I feel like we can get some cozy merch. Like I was thinking a beanie would be a good one. Absolutely. Oh, I would love that. I would love a cozy beanie. Yeah. Yeah. You never know guys. So you got to head over to Patreon, check it out. Now, um, Natalia, 
Are you ready to get into this week's haunting? I've been waiting for this for fucking since the the Donaldson Messages 3 happened. So yeah, I'm ready. Would you be able to offer just a quick two-minute maximum recap of the story of the Donaldson Messages? Because it is is important. And since we broke it up with a listener stories episode, maybe some people would just like, you know, a quick TLDR. Okay, so basically there is this apartment in this town called Doddleson in the English countryside, kind of a small town. And it's called Meadow Cottage. Wow, Meadow Cottage has been around for a really long time. And this story takes place in the 80s. There's this dude, I think his name was Ken. He's a teacher at a local college. And he is high school, high school. And he is dating a 19 year old. It might be a red flag. (laughs) (laughs) And at his home, he keeps bringing home this BBC microcomputer. And a BBC microcomputer is not a computer that can connect to the Internet. It has no downloading capabilities. It's not a communication device at all. It's basically just a digital typewriter. He has to rent one from the school and he brings it home so that his roommates can do projects and whatever. But then crazy alert. Something fucking weird happens. He starts noticing there's files saved to the computer that he has never seen before. And he doesn't know how they could have gotten on there because, again, the Internet doesn't exist at this point. He finds them saved to the computer. He finds them on the screen. He finds them on a floppy disk. There's different ways that they come in. And the messages seem to be someone from the 1500s, I think, talking Mm -hmm. to him. And he's like, very goodly, sir. You are a very interesting goodly man. And they're just strange messages. And then as the story plays out, they realize it's a dude named Lucas. He's living in the 1500s in their house. And everyone's freaking out. They don't know what's going on. And also, uh, you can send like messages to the other side, but you can also send physical items to the other side. Mm-hmm. And one time they sent a picture and then it came back all burned. And then the weirdest thing is that Debbie is probably fucking Lucas in her dreams. <laughs> and, but we're not sure because she doesn't tell us everything that goes on. But if they haven't already fucked, they definitely wanted to. And then at the end of the story... There's this weird character named 2109 who appears. We can only assume they're from the future, from 2109, but we don't know because they won't really tell us anything because they can't because they say that the butterfly effect will fuck everything up. So they're just there to kind of like keep Ken and Debbie going on the right track so that they make this like life circumstance happen. And everyone thinks it's so weird. So Ken and Debbie are right. Ken writes a book about it. And Lucas writes a book about it in the 1500s and 2109 writes a book about it. And then we're all supposed to put them together, but we can't put it together because the book from the Lucas in the 1500s is who the fuck knows where that is. It was 400 years ago. And so now we're supposed to find some book that we don't know where he put it. Uh, It's in Latin and it's got snakes on it. And I've been thinking about where this book is ever since the last episode ended. And I think that is the point of the story, right? There's a book somewhere and we got to find it. Is that the recap? That's right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalia. Yes. So the only thing I will add to that is just um, to remember the names of the people involved in the story. As Natalia said, Ken, who is the central figure in this story, he was the owner of Meadow Cottage. He writes a book. The book is called The Vertical Plane. In The Vertical Plane, the first couple chapters start off with him living with his girlfriend, Debbie, 19 years old, might be a red flag. And um, their other roommate, Nicola. Nicola is basically just 
couch surfing, crashing there because she's broke. Nicola is the one who decides that she wants him to check out from his computer lab at the high school he works at. Might be a red flag because he's dating a 19-year-old. <laughs> um, to bring home a computer from the computer lab because these were a novelty, like Nat said. They couldn't really do much, but it was convenient for people who were used to typing on typewriters. And she is a creative type. They're all creative types. They make music. Debbie yeah. plays the sax. Yeah, plays Ken the sax. is renovating this old 18th century cottage. And um, as he's renovating, they have people coming in and out of the house who are hitting on different people who are playing instruments. It's kind of like a beatnik vibe yeah. is what I get from the story. A lot of very creative people. Now, as the story progresses, Nicola no longer is involved in the story. And instead, she is pretty much replaced by this guy, Peter, who is a fellow teacher at the high school and also a, an expert in linguistics. He is an English teacher and he's kind of an elder in the community, knows a lot of shit. And he is eventually interviewed by the BBC. He's the only one of the three that shows his face in an interview, which I thought was interesting. Oh. And he is he is since deceased. I found some gossip on him. I ended up cutting it, cutting it out of of um, part three because it was just too much. But I will be releasing some unaired footage on the Patreon just with random gossip that was pretty juicy that I came across. <laughs> um, <laughs> Natalia's laughing because she knows what it is. Um, yeah. And so that's that's what went on. Now, as I was thinking of how to set up this bonus episode, um, I was finding myself getting really frustrated because the story is just, it has so many different angles, so many different rabbit holes. I think we could probably spend the rest of our lives mm -hmm. just like living in a dark cellar, wearing tinfoil hats, um, talking about yeah. the Doddleston messages as we're like, you know, trying to make our hands draw pictures that poltergeists <laughs> are possessing us to draw. So um, I've kind of divided it up loosely into three separate sections so the first one is called loose ends the second one is called theories the third one is clues and homework so loose homework ends. homework because i think you know let's crowdsource solving this mystery oh, right so yeah, well done so the first one loose ends i kind of just wanted both of us natalia to sort of chat about the story how it made us feel um what are some things that have stuck with you oh, yeah. so because i saw that you had posted to the patreon I saying did. that you have not been able to stop thinking mm -mm. about this story and you had some theories the donaldson messages really stuck with me because it, it's one of those stories where it's unbelievable but like I really want to believe and I'm not a skeptic but it's also like I'm highly aware that this could just be a great book or this could mm -hmm. be an elaborate prank but I think that's really boring so I try to shut that <laughs> out of my mind um, however it, it is there so I want people to understand that I'm I'm a real person I think a lot of us are thinking the same thing like I don't know if it was a prank who's playing a prank was it the people at the library that are like giving out this BBC microcomputer but like it logically doesn't make sense because how are they putting the messages on the screen when that you can't hack it like there's no way to hack this computer it's essentially a fucking calculator or something you know yeah yeah, yeah. um so so yeah, that's where I'm at with that. And then secondly, is that it was a really beautiful love story. I mean, between mm -hmm. Debbie and Lucas and um, a little bit between Ken and, and Debbie. I mean, there there's this is like a soap opera. There are so many different. It's a love triangle. Oh, throughout. It's, a, it's a time travel love triangle. 
it's a love triangle for sure. And I think it just broke my heart when you told me that Debbie was still looking for this book. Yeah. And, you know, that just makes it really real because on the surface, it's just kind of a fun story about maybe there's aliens. Maybe 2109 was an alien from the future. Maybe 2109 was a version of Ken from the future. Maybe 2109 was Lucas from the future. Like, I, I, I don't know. Or maybe it was just a ghost. Who knows what it, what it all is? But there is an element of reality to it in the sense that the love between Lucas and Debbie seemed palpable. Like that, yeah, that was real. Um, Absolutely. Whether it was a prank and someone was pretending to be Lucas or not, and she just got catfished by like someone who was pretending to be a ghost. I mean, I I just feel for her because the connection that she has with this person is is really real, and um, you know that's that's heartbreaking. And and but then that made me like kind of spiral, and then I got this idea, and I was like, what if? The whole point of Debbie and Lucas falling in love, like, that was the reason that this all happened. Because she needs to find the book. And what, Mm. so that we can, so that 2109 could, like, make whatever, like, happen, happen. Say there's going to be, like, a giant tragedy that they're going to avoid. Or nuclear warfare is going to be avoided by somehow getting the information from this book through the butterfly effect. 2109 knew according to my theory that making someone fall in love to have something more more motivating than just are there aliens what are the secrets of the universe like love is the strongest motivator so perhaps that is why there was such a focus on debbie remember because the messages would be like debbie Mm -hmm. go to sleep her alone like it, there was so much of a focus on making this connection between Lucas and Debbie and but it goes two ways it was like were they, was there only a connection between them because she was the most psychic and she was the one who could actually go through the veil and communicate with Lucas so that's why 2109 was like okay like have her do it because she's the one who's responding the best to this if it you know it could have been anyone um i don't know I, it, I thought I know I, when I read your Patreon post, I was thinking that's a really good hypothesis. It's and because it makes sense. I think a lot of the commentary that I was seeing um, on our Instagram and Reddit and um, on Spotify, because now if you guys didn't know, Spotify has the ability for you guys to post comments um, on each episode and and list your feelings. And I've really been enjoying reading what you guys have been putting on our Spotify account. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of people think like, oh, well, the fact that there is so much romance and the fact that it did get turned into this book that is for sale makes like that seems like a hoax. Because why would a ghost give a shit about, you know, falling in love? Why would a time travel man from the past care about falling in love? But your theory is really interesting because maybe the whole point was, like you said, to hook this vulnerable young person into falling in love so that even still today she continues to search for the book which if you guys missed what Natalia said that is true it is actually very easy to find Debbie Um, I'm not going to blow up her spot because I don't know how like I don't know how public she wants 
herself to be. Um, but you can definitely find her online on certain message boards. And she is still to this day searching for Thomas's book. Thomas is the real name of Lucas, basically this guy from the past, from the 1500s. At first, he's signing his letters to Ken and Debbie as L.W. Then he reveals his name is Lucas Wayman. Then much, much later in the story, after he's been arrested and then comes back, he reveals his true name is Thomas Howarden. And Lucas Wayman was the name of his mentor. And after he died, he assumes the name Lucas Wayman because he just loved him so much. I yeah, just so had another thought. Oh, okay. Please reveal I your forgot. Thought. But this is the second part of my theory that I didn't get to flesh out. So you can help me with this. Remember yes. towards the end of the story when the messages like were stopped coming through, essentially, they got a, a, a photo returned to them of some philosopher Yes. Or whatever. Yes. And Erasmus. it was blackened. Erasmus. Mm -hmm. I think that has a, that's a clue. What does it mean in Latin? I know it's a person, but does that mean something? Is it a code? I don't know. I'm like, a, you guys, I'm he not was, fucking going to find the Declaration of Independence. Like, I, I'm dude, like, that's so deep. Yeah, I'm so deep into this shit. Like, what is that movie with the, the Da Vinci Code? Like, that's how deep I am into this story. <laughs> No, I, I feel that. I feel that. Um, yeah, Erasmus, I definitely think that's a clue. I agree with you. Um, he was a one of Lucas Wayman slash Thomas Howarden's um, professors at Oxford University is the connection there. He had come and been a guest speaker, I guess. So I'm going to show you now, Natalia, I'm going to share my screen with you because I would like you to watch... The only interview that Debbie and Ken have ever given publicly, they don't mm -hmm. show their faces, it was with the BBC. Clearly there are only two options. Either the messages are genuine or they're not. And if they're not, then it's a hoax. I spoke to Ken and Debbie about the events which took place in Meadow Cottage ten years ago. Since then they've made new lives for themselves and don't wish to be identified. Do you think there could be a, a normal explanation for what was going on? I'm sure there will be a normal explanation, but not currently, no. I mean, I'm as puzzled as the next person as to what was happening. All I managed to do was to record what happened. Was there one particular event that convinced you it was paranormal? Although lots of people find the poltergeist activity interesting, what was meaningful to me was the messages, which were over 16 months, and the communication with a real person. Ken's friend, Peter Trinder, was checking the messages' authenticity. If somebody was doing this as a hoax, they would have had to do one hell of a lot of research to organise this. All right, it could have been done. Somebody spent a long time doing this in advance. But what for? Could it have been a kind of inside job? Because yourself, Ken and Debbie had access to this information. Maybe one of the three of you was hoaxing it. Well, if it, if it were me, of course, yes, it would have been done. Uh, but I would know. There would be no point in the whole thing. I can honestly say it wasn't me. I mean, but you believe or you don't believe. I knew that it wasn't me. And I did not believe that it could be Ken. Of course, always from the start. That was the assumption I started with when he first gave me this strange piece of paper over the school dinner table one day and said, do you understand this? And I said, well, let me take it home and have a look at it, knowing I got the dictionary. And I thought, well, now, this dictionary will soon prove that this is a, a bit of silly nonsense. But, of course, it didn't. Peter has examined the words which make up the messages, but I wanted to find out if other aspects of the language might provide important clues. Looking at the verb structure, there are things which Lucas says that would not have been said 
1546. It's true that individuals can make up individual words, but we don't make up our verbs. It's possible, or it was possible in England in 1546 to say, I do, thou dost, he, she, or it doth, he, she, or it does. But it wasn't possible to say, I doth, or he, she, or it dost. Now, all the way through um, Lucas's messages, he mixes and messes up these suffixes with the wrong subject. Do you think it's some kind of hoax or forgery? Well, it's certainly... Uh, if it's meant to look like early modern English writing, it doesn't even look close. So do you think it's a sophisticated hoax by somebody who has a background in modern English? No. If somebody had a background in early modern English writing, they would do a, they would, their hoax would look a lot better than this. I mean, they would get their verbal inflections correct. They wouldn't choose vocabulary that came from a period long before the period that this is supposed to have been written in. Um, they do it a lot better. We've had the uh, Lucas's messages analysed by two mm. experts. Mm. They have said that these are definitely not from the 16th century. They are like 20th century hoaxes. Mm. They don't have the right feel about them mm -hmm. grammatically to be mm -hmm. from the 16th century. What would you say to that? I'd be interested to see the, the detail of it. This is, of course, what you... In a way, in many ways, you'd expect this sort of reaction. I don't think, I suppose, there's an academic in the land who would say, this is real. Not anybody wanted to keep their position. This is a BBC Model B, like the one that Ken and Debbie used. I used to have one myself in the 80s, and so I know what they can and cannot do. When you switch them off, all of the information in the memory is wiped, and so it seems unlikely that somebody would have planted the messages on the computer before Ken brought it home from school. With the messages, were there any uh, occasions when it couldn't have been Ken and yourself, that somebody looked at the computer, then walked out, shut the room, kept an eye on Ken and yourself, walked back in and saw a message? Obviously, in the beginning, we wanted to eliminate ourselves. Ken would go miles and miles away. He may be with friends. I would sit with various people. Some people I had only met once, and uh, they put a question on the computer, and a message came... And all the time I was in one room, never entering the room where the computer was at any time, always in view. And also, with Ken being clearly not there, it eliminated him as well. So who could have been planting these messages? Dr Wright suggested one way in which the language might help us find out. She compared the messages from Lucas with the descriptive passages from Ken's book. She took a 500-word sample from both Lucas and Ken and looked at how many times they used an adjective in front of a noun. Ken used one 26.6% of the time, Lucas 26% of the time. And that's not just the percentage for everyone writing around the time Ken wrote his book, 1986. She checked that by looking at some journalism and also a romantic novel both written then. They both used adjectives in front of nouns around 32 to 35% of the time. We've always really rather hoped for some constructive comments about it and in the light of something I've heard today about language and about its construction being possibly similar to my own construction this is particularly remarkable since I wasn't in the building as I say for something like four-fifths of the occasions when messages are appeared. It so was very real that's all I'm saying Richard it was very close the kind of thing that you could not doubt but all the time one was aware of the possibility of hoax but if it was a hoax by golly it was brilliant. It's a strange sort of question. Did you hoax it yourselves? Because we, we were the only people with the opportunity. But to be honest, this phenomenon has a built-in endpoint. 
simply that if somebody comes across and finds Thomas's book, if somebody finds that, well, these sorts of discussions become irrelevant, and I'm really quite happy to wait until that point to sort all the finer detail out. If it was a hoax, by golly, it was brilliant. I wanted to show that to you because those are the that's the only interview that Ken and Debbie have ever publicly given, and it doesn't show their faces. Really helped to kind of give more context to the situation because I think everyone kind of has like an intuition in us, like when we can tell someone's bullshitting us or we can tell someone's a sociopath or whatever. And so it's really helpful to be able to see someone and see their, um, even if they're not facing the camera, to see the way they're holding themselves, to hear what their voice sounds like, to hear the tone of their voice. And, 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 I'm there with the the English the professor where he's like, if it was a hoax, then why? Like, why? Was yeah, it, yeah. What's the fucking point? Right, yeah. What was the point? And then someone was like, well, you could have done it. And he was like, but I would know if I didn't do it. Yeah. If I didn't do it. <laughs> it's like just going crazy about it, trying to figure it out. And then he was like, you know, if it was a hoax, then it was a bloody good one or whatever he said. Yeah, exactly. I, and that's I feel like that reflects the public's opinion about this story, too. Like. God, the whole time, like, it's got to be a hoax, but why and who and how? And it was such a long hoax. It took place over the course of, like, two years. Like, I'm sorry, the average person is going to give up, like, month one. Mm -hmm. I would be like, this is no longer fun. Like, this is now stressful. This is causing problems between me and my significant other. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. People are, like, around town gossiping about me and about how there's a ghost in my house. Like, I'm over it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Because And I I say that because I think that clip um, shows that the only person who really could have done it is Ken. Mm -hmm. Because it's his house. Um, Debbie, I totally believe Debbie when she's like you know, explaining her side of the story and the fact that she's still to this day, 2023, trying to find this book. Like, I don't believe that she would have done this. I don't think that she would have hoaxed it. Um, and Peter Trinder, I don't think he would have hoaxed it either because I do believe his interview where he's like, yeah, going crazy, yeah. like talking to the interviewer, like, but if I did it, then I would know that I did it. So like, <laughs> you know, like, but it is, I didn't do it. It is crazy because there was a woman in there who was saying that, the messages seemed like they didn't actually come from the time period they were supposed to be coming from. Right. Now, I will say in response to that, um, I have joined a couple different message boards that talk about the Doddleston messages. Um, Debbie is involved on some of them. Like I said, don't want to like dox her, but you can find it if you try hard enough. Um, And it seems like her argument against that, and I don't want to speak for her, it's just what I've read, um, her argument seems to be that we're learning more and more each day about what language was like in the 1500s, and there have been new discoveries of some of the words that um, Thomas slash Lucas used oh. that in the 80s we thought were fake now have been discovered to be, like, real, like, different... Um, you know, books or or different, you know, transcripts and things that have been found in, in old libraries, examples of some of those words being used. Oh, that's really so, interesting to me. Yes, I agree. I agree. Now, the last interview I wanted to show you is this one. It's only um, a minute, 43 seconds long. We watched a little clip during 
I think part two of the Doddleston messages, but I would like you to watch the full thing. It's an interview with Peter Trinder. Uh, Thomas Harden did live in a former house on the site of the cottage, and language expert Peter Trinder believes the letters are authentic. Certainly, and uh, it was fairly early on that I was able to feel that I could identify the area that he came from, which was the southwest. And later, there were some, there were two or three words which were specific to the southwest. I mean, for example, that word pill meaning a little inlet on, on the River Severn. So how did your relationship progress with Thomas? You, you're both Personally, Oxford graduates, of course. And, uh, yes, that's what made us feel uh, kindred spirits, I suppose, or certainly made him. He leapt at the fact that I had been in this place which was so dear to him, so dear that, in fact, that's where he was going back. His intention was to go back to Oxford. Why do you think he left Oxford in the first place? I suppose one felt in the normal course of events, as we all did, to move on to some career. But it looks as though, from the evidence we have, that he was, in fact, ejected from his office, which was dean of the college. Uh, something to do with either blotting out or failing to blot out the name of the Pope from the service books. And because he, well, it, it must be because he had refused to blot it out, that he was, in fact, ejected. And the records show this. Beside computer messages, Thomas also left pieces of paper with scrawlings and drawings from his surroundings. He became a friend, but other less benign forces started to plague them. Incidents like furniture thrown across the room excited supernatural investigators. Debbie and Ken, of course, had to live with the mysterious goings-on, including poltergeist activity, like this white chair standing freely on two points. Hmm, that ban... Peter Trinder is is just the kind of person I want to be. Like his energy yeah. <laughs> is so good, you know. He's just so yeah. intelligent, well yeah, intelligent but not stiff. Like it, it, he mm -hmm. seems just like an interesting person that he could sit down to dinner with anyone, regardless of their level of education, and meet them at where they're at and have a very interesting story. He's just like a great conversationalist, and I find him fascinating. I agree with everything he's saying. I, I'm on, I'm on board with this story. There's some hot gossip about Peter Trinder that I will be posting to the Patreon um, tier two if you guys want to hear about it. There could oh, be some red flags with him, but I agree. Oh, yeah. He's very he seems charismatic. Very but yes, he has got the some skeletons in his closet but he's very charismatic you know that do you, i don't know if people still use this but ratemyprofessor.com oh yeah he would have the spicy chilies next to him That's right right do does seeing those interviews kind of sway you in any one direction like are you leaning more towards believer or skeptic i don't know like it could be suspicious how charming and charismatic peter trender is but that could also just be my past experience with people who are charming and charismatic like some those are the people that scam you those are the people that trick right. you they're always the funniest they're always the coolest they're always the most laid back and they're the ones that you know so you trust them you let your walls down and then they stab you in the back and it turns out that they were not the person they you thought they were but right you know well, that's the thing with cult leaders right that's how people yeah. get roped into cults and get abused because of like some super charismatic psychopath that's able to trick people into feeling safe and believing in them. So is that what we're experiencing here? Or are we just so jaded mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a lot of bad people in the world that that is our gut reaction? I don't know. Um, I don't know. All I know is that 
this story is very captivating. So now, without further ado, we are going to get into the possible theories. Now, are is this an exhaustive list of theories? No, because like I said, this case <laughs> has like so many be. rabbit holes. Yeah, but this case has so many rabbit holes that you could literally spend an entire year, possibly more, just down one theory. Mm. So... Let, let's just get into it, though. Let's see. And I, I'm very eager to hear everyone's opinions um, because, yeah, this is something we've never done before. So if you like this, if you like more of a freeform conversation between me and Nat about what we think about different episodes, let us know in the comments for the photo dump for this episode at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram. Okay. Theory number one, a poltergeist. A poltergeist. We've never done a full episode dedicated to poltergeists, so in researching this theory, I was surprised to find that to be considered a poltergeist, there are actually some pretty specific parameters that must be met because it's a specific type of haunting and a specific type of ghost. Mm. So not all ghost hauntings are attributed to poltergeists. So first of all, I remember you, Natalia, saying, um, I think it was during part two of the Doddleston messages, that you were curious about why the entity was stacking cat food tins and why they were stacking furniture and why they were melting things and whether or not that might be a significant clue. Well, apparently, stacking things is actually a telltale sign of a poltergeist. Whoa, really? Yes, I had no idea. So the name. Yeah, I had no clue. The name poltergeist is actually a German word that means noisy ghost and refers to a specific type of ghost or paranormal entity that is capable of manifesting itself in the corporeal world by creating noise, moving objects, and even punching, biting, and hitting people. Oh, So if you look at the Wikipedia page for Poltergeist, you will see that the image used in the article is a digital scan of an illustration from a 1911 French newspaper article depicting an alleged case of poltergeist activity from Algeria. Natalia, I'm going to send you this illustration and I'd like you to describe it to our audience. Okay, I got it. Oh, wow. This looks like, is this French? Yes, this is a French article about poltergeist activity that happened in 1911 in Algeria. Okay, so I don't speak French, but I'm going to do my best here. It says, La vie mystérieuse. (laughs) (laughs) Histories de l'autre monde. Uh, It looks like it probably says, like, of the mysterious life, history of our world or something. I don't know. And then it's just a, a picture of um, what looks like a maid in a kitchen. And there's a bunch of pots and pans flying around. Yep. And yep. yeah, she looks really upset about it. Like she's has her head clutched in her hands like, oh, what am I going to lose my job? Yeah. This whole <laughs> kitchen literally just flew everywhere. All these pots and pans and plates and butcher knives have just flown off the walls. I am going to lose my job for this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in this case, um, a 14 year old servant girl named Therese Sayez, um, and I could be pronouncing that wrong because I also don't speak French. In this story, the employer of Therese 
would often arrive home to find objects strewn about, furniture and kitchen utensils stacked, and a frightened Therese claiming that the activity was due to an invisible force. Oh. While many believe that the activity was actually caused by Therese herself as a way of rebelling against the forced labor inflicted upon her by her employer, this case is often touted as an early example of poltergeist activity. The story of Therese Sayez is not the only notable historic example of a poltergeist. In fact, there is one case in particular that is actually called out in the text of the vertical plane, and that happens on page 39 of the version of the vertical plane that I have. The passage is discussing poltergeist and in in the passage in the chapter Ken, Debbie and Peter are kind of debating you know what could be causing this phenomenon to be happening inside Meadow Cottage and in the excerpt Ken muses about whether or not Debbie could be behind the unexplained activity occurring within the cottage so he writes quote Debbie was 19 had I been paying her enough attention I was thinking of Matthew Manning's experiences at this point end quote so, Natalia, have you ever heard of Matthew Manning? No. Who's that? So, this is a really interesting case that we don't have time to go super in-depth into because it should probably be its own episode entirely. But here's the quick synopsis. In an article for SkepticalInquirer.org entitled The Bizarre Case of Matthew Manning, author Joe Nickel describes the strange paranormal phenomena that surrounded a young boy named Matthew Manning in the late 1960s. In 1967 in Cambridge at a house named Queen's House, a 12-year-old Manning was living with his family in a quaint English home when the family began experiencing, quote, rapping sounds, objects thrown about, heavy furniture moved, and objects disappearing but sometimes reappearing in other rooms. The incident culminated in the family awakening one morning to find over 600 signatures of deceased persons who had lived in the Cambridge area from the 17th century onward written on the walls of Matthew's bedroom. So, Natalia. Oh, my God. That is fucking terrifying. (laughs) I'm going to send you a picture of uh, from the investigation that occurred. So I'm sending that in the chat right now. You should get it in right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is like demonic horror shit this is so fucking scary um this is terrifying i am looking at a bedroom wall with a bunch of different signatures on it and they're all like in different fonts and different sizes and different types of handwriting um all over everything I mean, it's like there's no space in there. You know, the bottom of the Declaration of Independence has like, a ton of different signatures and there's like no space. Yeah. It looks like that. But if you just um, repeated that over and over and over again until there were 600 signatures. But yeah, you guys need to check out these. This is crazy. Go to Let's Get Haunted at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram because I how if this was a prank. Why would so? Uh, Well, let's talk about it. So the case of Matthew Manning has been extensively studied, and most of the articles I read seem to believe that Manning himself was the sole culprit behind the haunting. So points towards this include... One, Manning was working on a local history project for school during the time when the signatures appeared, and many of the names written on his bedroom wall corresponded to names of people that he had been reading about. Two, the haunting stopped for a few years before picking back up again, and the haunting seemed to increase when Manning was going through personal problems. And three, when Manning's family sent him to boarding school, the haunting stopped at the family home, but continued in his dorm at school. But that now, he could be possessed, 
right? Yeah. Well, it should be noted that Manning is still alive today at age 68, and he claims to have psychokinetic abilities, including the ability to bend metal with his mind oh. and the ability to cure breast cancer through his touch, which might be a red flag, <laughs> so make of that what you will. Um, but Wait, if it, he feels your boobs, he cures you of breast well, cancer? Well, the picture I saw, he was touching a woman's head, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, you Seems know what? like it could be Who a red flag. Who are we flag. to judge? If someone can cure breast cancer with her touch, their touch, then you know what? They're doing more than we could ever. Yeah, dog. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I just know that I don't want to be sued by this man who's still alive. So I'm just saying, come to your own conclusions. Now, the points towards this particular case being real um, comes in an interview for GQ UK, where journalist Robert Chalmers takes an opposing view to the article that I just read to you. Um, and he seemingly endorses Manning's experiences as genuine, writing, quote, concerning the events of his early years, which earned him international fame as the so-called poltergeist boy. There are just too many witnesses, too many traumatized individuals who saw domestic appliances flying up staircases unaided, too many school friends who witnessed crockery appearing in midair and shattering on the classroom floor, and too many scientifically trained observers who were present when, as a boy, messages from the dead began to appear on the walls of Manning's bedroom at his family home in Cambridgeshire. So, again, this is a very, like, we could go all day talking about this guy. We could go all day talking about that girl in Algeria. Yeah. Um, but we we can't do that, guys. So <laughs> let's bring it back to the Doddleston messages. So according to all the research of poltergeists, what are the common characteristics associated with the phenomenon? One, loud noises. Two, items such as furniture and cutlery being thrown or stacked around the home. Three, usually the person at the center of the activity is a child, most often a female child. Four, foul smells are also associated with poltergeist occurrences, as well as spontaneous fires and different electrical issues such as flickering lights. According to Wikipedia, quote, poltergeists have traditionally been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a particular person instead of a specific location. And some variation of poltergeist folklore is found in many different cultures. Early claims of spirits that supposedly harass and torment their victims date back to the first century. But references to poltergeists became more common in the early 17th century. So do we think that the activity associated with Meadow Cottage could have been due to a poltergeist, perhaps even a deceptive poltergeist who was looking to manifest itself as friendly in the form oh. of Lucas to gain Ken and Debbie's trust before turning menacing in the form of 2109, the sheriff and Lucas's friend John, who later come through the computer to feed off of the stress and negativity it caused in the house. Oh, wow. So that theory would explain why, like, some of the language and stuff seemed inauthentic even though we now know that some of it actually was authentic that could explain that away if it was a poltergeist like pretend if it was a ghost yeah. pretending to be from the 1500s even though it was just like some random it's a compelling so it's it's compelling because if we think that and and there is an option at the end where like you could pick more than one theory and be like well i think there was a poltergeist right. and there was a man from the past and this and that and this and that um that's definitely a possibility but if we are going with theory number one it's just a poltergeist 
there have been documented cases of poltergeist activity where at first the poltergeist makes itself known to a child in the house and is being really nice to the child, trying to befriend the child. And then because this type of entity is thought to feed off of stress and negativity, it later, after gaining the trust of a member of the household, will just go fucking batshit insane mm-hmm. and be really scary, cause stuff to fall over, cause stuff to fly around the house. Um, For whatever reason, it really seems to focus on kitchen utensils and furniture, which I thought was interesting. Um, And it'll stack stuff. It'll have disembodied footsteps or whispering or clapping. um, and, And it feeds off of that terror that people in the household experience. So that could explain it. Maybe that explains why there was this sort of like slow burn Mm -hmm. in the Doddleston messages where at first it is scary, right? Because they're seeing shadows and, 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 you know, different noises and stacking. But the voice that comes through the computer is really nice, right? Mm -hmm. It's Lucas. It's just this guy who is this quaint farmer that's talking about his chickens and his dogs and You know, he's very friendly most of the time when he appears to Debbie in her dreams. And then later we're introduced to these secondary characters that are more angry and intense and scary and and more convoluted. And maybe it was all the same entity just ramping up its activity, trying to um, get the most negative energy to feed off of as possible. That's terrifying. Yeah, that's horrifying. That's so scary to think that it's. (laughs) It's a clapping, it's like literally just a clapping sound that, <laughs> that pretended to be a person and made right. you fall in love and like, like feel just, empathy and, and pain and sorrow because just thought, to rip it all away, yeah. right? Just to be like, he's now in jail and you can't know his true name or else something horrible, the world's going to end like, you know, like ruining Debbie and Ken's relationship, like yeah. causing all these problems. So God, this story while, is crazy. I know, I know, it's it's insane. So there are some characteristics. I decided to just like make a list. It, literally, my notes look like an insane person. Um, <laughs> there's like, okay, what are some things that happened that like seem to be characteristic of a stereotypical poltergeist? So there is furniture stacking in this story, right? We looked at some mm-hmm. photos um, and even in the video clip I just showed you, there are some photos in that video clip of furniture being stacked. There was the instance where there was like a bunch of cutlery. I don't know if you remember that from part three that was stacked. Yeah, um, I remember. C- cutlery all in a row or stacked on top of each other. There was the issue of like coins being thrown towards a fireplace and spinning around and just seemed really weird. Like the dog... Um, collar that flies off a shelf and hits the opposite wall so that all seems pretty emblematic of a stereotypical poltergeist haunting and another thing that seems you know emblematic of a poltergeist haunting is that debbie who is a young teenage female she's the only person that is able to be in the house while the hauntings are happening and for whatever reason And there are some weird rabbit holes out there you can get down that I just, it was too much for my brain about why it feeds off of young women. I don't know, dude. And I just didn't have the time to go down that. (laughs) Like, well, it's like, oh, well, negative energy views young female women as particularly vulnerable because of their place in society. And so, like, of course, an evil entity 
is gonna go and latch on to like a young child and particularly a young female child and you can Mm. look at that in different ways you could look at it from the lens of like yeah society does view children as like being stupid so if a child is saying i'm talking to a ghost you're gonna be like oh how cute they're talking about it you know Mm. an, an imaginary friend um or yeah women typically are have throughout history been seen as like being hysterical when they complain about stuff and we've seen that even in like medical care where like certain women just for whatever reason are not taken seriously by their doctors um and so that's like Mm -hmm. a whole different rabbit hole i didn't even want to go down because it's too much baggage um right it could also just be that women especially young girls are like more intuitive than the average person or like because of societal expectation placed on young women we're just like expected to go along with whatever's happening like be pleasant you know okay um so you could look at it as a point being towards the idea of this being a poltergeist because it did seem to latch on to debbie right she's the only one who seems to be able to phase into the spirit world um or seems to be dreaming of of whatever this entity is manifesting itself as. So there are some things that seem to line up with the idea of a poltergeist, but there are other things that don't seem to line up. For example, there was no foul smell associated with the haunting at Meadow Cottage, and that is something that usually people in a poltergeist situation report. So normally it'll be the smell of rotting meat um, or sulfur. Exactly. So that at least with what's written in the vertical plane, that is never mentioned. There is never a situation where there is a weird foul smell with no explanation. And the other thing that might not point to it being a poltergeist is that the phenomena does seem to be isolated to a specific part of the cottage and did not follow Debbie into her life later after leaving the cottage. And I know this because... I I have had conversations with Debbie and I've seen her having conversations with other people on message boards. Hopefully she will decide to come on our show. But if she doesn't, that's okay. That's her right. And I don't blame her if she doesn't want to, because it seems like they've gone this long without making public statements. So I get it. But as far as I can tell from everything I've read and all of the conversations I've had with her online, this haunting did not follow her into her later life so it does seem to be isolated to the cottage and in poltergeist activities it normally latches on to a person rather than a place okay not always not always but it usually does okay so maybe it wasn't a poltergeist but what about some other kind of ghost that leads us to theory number two that it was a bogart so most millennials likely associate the term bogart also pronounced bogart with the harry with the Harry yeah. Potter series, but Boggarts actually date back well before the 21st century, well before Harry Potter was even a glimmer um, in society's eye. So unlike a poltergeist, a Boggart is usually location specific. It is a spirit or entity, although there have been some cases of Boggarts following families even after they moved several times. But generally speaking, it is more likely to be associated with a place rather than a person. (laughs) Boggarts are seen as malevolent entities akin to the American concept of the boogeyman. And according to Wikipedia, quote, it is said that the Boggart crawls into people's beds at night and puts a clammy hand on their faces. Some. Sometimes he even strips the bed sheets off of them. Sometimes a boggart will also pull on a person's ears. 
and hanging a horseshoe on the door of a house and leaving a pile of salt outside of your bedroom are said to keep a boggart away. In northern England, at least, there was the belief that the boggart should never be named, for when the boggart was given a name, it would not be reasoned with nor persuaded, but would become uncontrollable and destructive, end quote. This is interesting to me. Because if the haunting in Meadow Cottage was a boggart, perhaps discovering Lucas Wainman's quote-unquote true name of Thomas Howarden could explain why the activity seemed to get more distressing as time went on. Indeed, there seemed to be many people coming through the computer at once, while Ken and Debbie repeatedly asked 2109 for Lucas's true identity. Mm. And you may remember 2109 kept trying to say, do not ask about the true identity. You cannot know Lucas Wayneman's true name. If you do, something horrible will happen. Well, in English folklore, where the idea of the boggart comes from, it is thought that if you find out a boggart's true name or name it and give it a name, that causes the boggart's paranormal abilities to sort of become unhinged. And even putting mm-hmm. salt outside your bedroom won't stop it at that point. Okay. So... Folklore generally divides the concept of a boggart into two separate categories. The first one is a house boggart, and the second one is an outdoor boggart. Outdoor boggarts tend to live under bridges or in marshes, sort of like a troll. So we can remove that type of boggart probably from the running theories since the haunting at Meadow Cottage, (laughs) like we said, was isolated to one specific part of the house. This is giving me flashbacks to the episode where you were talking about Frederick Lentich doing all the theories (laughs) and talking about how the plane was too high. Up Dude. for a sea cryptid to reach it. <laughs> this is why, like I'm saying, I've just, all of my notes on this look absolutely insane. That look like it's so insane. If I died tomorrow, like if I got murdered tomorrow and then the FBI was going through my computer trying to solve my murder, they'd be like, oh, she killed herself 100%. Like but something see, was unwell. Good, this is like a good uh mirror though because a lot of time with hauntings they're like well the person was mentally unhinged like they were having a really stressful time when we see their notes their friends were saying they were acting different whatever but no they were just getting haunted like you're getting haunted yeah absolutely i agree look i'm on board i agree with you (laughs) Great point. So what is the difference between a poltergeist and a boggart? According to the article, according to an article published to BritishFairies.wordpress.com, quote, poltergeists are generally defined as noisy, usually mischievous ghosts, which are held to be responsible for unexplained noises such as wrappings on a door or that move furniture and throw objects such as crockery around inside of a house. Sometimes they are responsible for stones being thrown outside as well. They have traditionally been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a particular person instead of a specific location. In contrast, a boggart is a being who is tied to a specific location, sometimes a specific family, and even more importantly, the Boggart has its own distinct personality and character. Oh. They're more than just a source of nuisance noise, although they certainly can cause it. They speak, they interact, they even undertake household chores. They can almost become oh. part of the family. In short, they are not just a ghost in the house, end quote. Boggarts are usually described as unpleasant and fearsome, though not always, and in one piece of English folklore, there was said to be a boggart who hid at a crossroads and would kill solo travelers along the road, skinning them and hanging the skin up as a warning in the bushes along the pathway. That seems 
like extreme it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other boggarts are described as somewhat friendly carrying out small tasks around a house in exchange for food or attention so natalia i will send you an illustration of a boggart to describe to our audience because they can unlike poltergeists they can take on like very physical characteristics okay i'm looking at an illustration um, of a man opening up a door and it says Farmer Griggs and the Boggart and then up, he's like opening up the door and looking outside and there's like a little elf standing out there. Yeah, it's like an elf or troll usually when yeah. they take on a physical form. Um, and some are cute. Some are kind of just fucking gross. I'm going to send you two uh, very distressing <laughs> illustrations. So... Do you think it's multiple entities that were using the computer or it was just one pretending to be all of them and it was like having the time of its life, like creating this dramatic story for everyone to figure out? It's definitely hard to say. This um, is creepy as hell. I do not like yeah, this. Yeah, please this, describe. This, please describe this to second our one, oh, you guys got to see these. Go to at Let's Get Haunted. It looks like... It's a hairy little man. No, but it's like the dimensions are all wrong. Like it's, it's a baby. <laughs> it's literally a baby. Like it's wearing a diaper. It's got like fat thighs, but then it has crocodile feet. And it has like <laughs> it has like a middle-aged man with a beer belly's hairy belly. And then it's got like skinny uh, like supermodel arms with like <laughs> slender man hands. And then it, the neck is like the neck is literally as big as the thigh. And then the head is just terrible. It's, it's like too much. The head is like if Danny DeVito was like <laughs> took enough meth to die. Like this is the face he made as he realized that he had taken enough meth to die. And uh, with like pointy devil ears and bald. I mean, it's just terrible. And then to make matters worse. They posed it next to a jack-in-the-box, like that creepy toy that has a clown coming out of it. Yeah, this is, looks like a goblin from Harry Potter. It's um, just like a little fly with like a crazy... It has like a... It has like a... I don't know, like a Harry Potter outfit. Like little mystical boots on and a big jacket with with a magnifying glass coming out of it. And wings, and he's holding like a piece of broken glass, and um, it it kind of looks like a rat. It looks like, like a wings. rat toddler, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. It's kind. It's like it's definitely ugly, but it's kind of so ugly that it's cute. Almost, yeah, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's giving me Bingus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's giving Bingus, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, all right. So, again, bringing it back to the Doddleston messages before <laughs> I get too insane. Um, possible point against the case of the Doddleston messages being caused by a Boggart is that generally a Boggart seems to take on a physical form. And that usually, like, everyone in the household should be able to see the Boggart if it is taking on a physical form. So the only example of a physical being inside of Meadow Cottage that I can think of from the vertical plane is at the beginning of the story when Nicola, person. Ken, and Debbie were seeing shadow people around their house, right. outside their window. Um, other than that, Debbie is the only one who occasionally seems to be able to see um, a physical being in the form of a human. And it's sort of unclear if if she is like time traveling and can see the being or if it's just a dream and then she can see him. You know what I mean? It's sort of unclear about right. whether or not he's in their dimension. I agree. 
Okay, theory number three, ley lines. Natalia, have you ever heard of ley lines? Yes, you talked about it before. It was like on the 27th latitude or something. Yeah, yeah. Bad things happen, right? Yes. Okay. So you are probably remembering episode 17, the Jameson family episode, where in one of the theories we talked about this idea, I don't even remember which latitude it was, latitude 64 or 95 or something. And it's like all these bad things happened along that latitude. It's it's a similar idea. So ley lines are first mentioned actually in the vertical plane as a possible explanation for this haunting. So Mm -hmm. on page 40 of the version of the vertical plane that I have, Ken writes the following of this theory, quote, the latest theory was ley lines, the old straight paths, the lines of force supposedly crossing England and elsewhere, of course, which could be identified by lining up sites of antiquity. It was not a subject I should normally choose to discuss in company, but since we had drifted as far as the biting poltergeist and automatic writing, an excursion into ley lines seemed quite moderate and reasonable. On large-scale maps spread across the floor of the living room, Doddleston was easily accommodated by two lines, and John had once read of an association between ley lines and the frequency of parapsychological events, especially poltergeists. In addition, the cottage may or may not be close to a ley line, which supposedly increases the chances of this sort of occurrence, end quote. So the concept of ley lines is attributed to a self-taught amateur archaeologist named Alfred Watkins, who, according to his book, The Old Straight Track, published in 1925, was out riding his horse in the village of Blackwardine, England, when before his very eyes, a series of glowing lines materialized on the rolling hills and valleys around him. According to Watkins, when he went home later and mapped these glowing lines he saw in his mind onto physical paper maps, he realized that all major landmarks around England and indeed around the world seemed to be connected in invisible straight lines. Is this um, the Da Vinci Code? God, I don't know, Natalia. I'm telling you, I am like so exhausted. Before we started this episode, I was like, I'm almost ready for this like topic to just be done because there are too many fucking rabbit holes to fall down. But Watkins theorized that ancient man must have somehow also been able to detect these lines, these invisible lines, perhaps guided by aliens or some other paranormal (laughs) force erecting ancient landmarks Mm. such as Stonehenge across these lines. So let me send you a map of England with these ley lines, and then we'll look at a map where the Doddleston I understand this. No, this is is, um, also intersecting with the theory about, like, vortices, vortex, like a... Yes. um, Yes. So uh, there's this other theory where places that are like significant spiritually, like um, places where people have the most psychic awareness or places that seem really peaceful or just have like good energy, good vibes, whatever you want to call it. Those places are called for like a vortex. And there's a bunch of them in Sedona, apparently. And it would kind of make sense that people would put their most uh, significant cultural um, structures or whatever on places where 
the energy is really high. Like if you're going to build a temple to um, some god or whatever, you wouldn't put it like in your backyard. You would put it on top of a mountain where the sun hits from the east and the west and the angels sing and da da da. You know what I mean? And so it would make sense that those are all connected by some sort of energetic line, like a invisible river of energy. Yes. So I sent you um, three images to your phone, not to the computer, because these ones were saved to my camera roll and I don't want to airdrop them right now to my laptop. Um, But basically the idea is that there does seem to be Um, And maybe a skeptic perspective would be like, well, you're just picking and choosing like different monuments. There's so (laughs) many. Wait, I don't. (laughs) Okay, this is just like a bunch of uh, this is makes. I don't know. There's this is just a bunch of dots on a map and then red lines connecting. But like, couldn't you draw straight lines from any one point to another point? Like, right. If you just choose two random points. So the first one um, that I sent you, and you guys can look at this at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram. It says Leyline Map of England and Wales. And it is essentially showing that all of England, this is the argument, right? That people mm-hmm. who believe in ley lines make. That all sacred sites in England and Wales are built on these straight lines. So rather than, so, yeah, I mean, so to your point, <sighs> I don't even know how to explain this because it's like, well, yeah, you can I get make what you're a straight saying. You're saying that anywhere. if Doddleson is lays on one of those lines, then it could be considered a like significant landmark. Correct. So then you can look at the map I sent by that ancient shows... people, and ancient people would have known that, and that that's why it's on the ley line. And so ancient people, maybe if they were like being more like chill and architectural, they would have like put a giant statue there. But they didn't, and someone built a cottage there, and then they got haunted. Right. Yeah. So yeah. some people say, well, the you know, it it's more of an unconscious draw. So these ancient people may not have known that this is a ley line, right? Because that's a modern yeah. term. But perhaps they were drawn to build at a specific place because it has some sort of energy vortex, and so unconsciously they're drawn to that to build a pyramid or a monument like Stonehenge, um, or to erect some sort of ancient temple. Um, so exactly. So. That's one of the theories. Another theory is that literally aliens, like sort of like with the Nazca lines, mm. um, which we've talked about in a previous episode. I think it, I think we talked about it with the Falcon Lake incident. Yes, we did. Yeah. So some people think that the Nazca lines were built, be, you know, based off of something that aliens were transmitting to people on the ground to be like, hey, do this. Hey, do that. Um, And they're just these super, super long, like miles and miles and miles in length of lines, perfectly straight lines that make these really intricate designs in an era where obviously there would be no high ground to be able to see these lines that you were mapping out. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's a similar idea to where it is interesting that a lot of these significant monuments, especially in, in Wales and England, Um, And indeed, throughout the world, connect on these straight lines. And one of the theories as it relates to the Doddleston messages is that Doddleston is located sort of in the pathway between some significant monuments. So could it just be that 
the house was built on an energy vortex of some sort that was causing all sorts of beings to be able to interact within the house's walls. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, yes. yes. What What say you, Natalia? Oh, my goodly friend. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Mida thinks that it could be true. I, I mean, Move, yeah. All of these theories, the, like I, I see what you're There's saying more. about the rabbit holes, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's just, it's so interesting what you're talking about that essentially has nothing to do with the Doddleson right. um, story at all. But it's so interesting that I just want to hear you keep talking about it. I also think, I think our listeners might agree at this point, um, and, and Allie might be like really not love this, but I also think I just like the sound of your voice at this point. Like it's just oh, comforting wow. to you. hear you talk, to like have it like in the background in the car or something, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> oh, fuck. it is, it's just like ASMR. So I, I love like listening to the theories well, as well. Um, and, and I'm trying my best to like use my analytical thinking brain, but I'm just like imagining I'm in a cozy cottage right now with like a cup of tea and you're like going insane in the corner telling me a story. <laughs> that's how, okay, good. Cause that's how I feel like, yeah, I'm just a babbling like witch in the corner of like a busy pub and I'm just talking to myself and people are turning around like are you talking to me like see that's like a great title for a YouTube ASMR I would watch like a babbling witch in the corner of a hotel you know that's true that's true so well guys Allie sent me a a a site called cheshirelayline.wordpress.com. <laughs> oh no, Cheshire Layline. <laughs> okay, um, so this is one of the major, like, significant points that that Doddleston does have a layline going through. So to be clear, this landmark, which Natalia is clicking on a link to load right now, mm. and I will have the picture of the yeah. landmark. In the photo dump for this episode, it's called the Nine Ladies Stone Circle in Derbyshire. Oh, yeah. So Derbyshire is not uh, in Doddleston, to be clear, but it is one of these um, monuments that forms a straight line through Doddleston. So let me just share my screen with you um, so that you can see what I'm talking about. And I am sharing. Do you see this? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It's like straight across. Yeah, let me take a screenshot of this before I fucking forget, because like I said, this is just, it's too much, you guys. It's absolutely too much. You guys, me. make sure you comment on the photo dump and give yeah. Allie lots of compliments because she deserves them. Guys, for this I've lost my fucking mind. So please, somebody tell me that you've listened to this episode. But yeah, anyway, so I just wanted to show you that's one of the significant monuments. Again, all of these could be their own individual episodes, so I don't want to dwell on it too much. But there, And that's only one example of a monument that is on a mm-hmm. ley line that intersects with Meadow Cottage. Now, similarly, in the same vein as the idea of ley lines, ley lines is adjacent to the concept of feng shui. So click on click on this and then just read. This is from thespruce.com. The basic principles of feng shui. Tips for creating balance in life at home by Angie Cho, updated on July 6th, 2023. Feng shui's meaning can be broken down into the Chinese word feng, meaning wind, and shui, meaning water. 
The concept is derived from an ancient poem that talks about human life being connected to and flowing with the environment around it. In Asian culture, this philosophy is called the Tao, which translates to the way. Taoism is the way of nature, and all the basic rules of feng shui reflect nature. If you'd like to feng shui your home, first you need to know about the commanding position. In feng shui, the commanding position is the spot in a room that is farthest from the door and not in direct line with it. It puts you diagonal to the door. And ideally, you should have a clear line of sight to the door. The commanding position is where you want to spend most of your time in a room. Some of the basic rules of feng shui suggest you determine this dominant position in the room and then place your bed, your desk, or your stove in diagonal alignment if possible. These three parts of your house are critical because each represents an essential part of your life. The bed stands for you, the desk is an extension of your career, and the stove represents your wealth and nourishment. So basically feng shui is this idea that like um, you want to set up your room so that it flows the best and there's also like an element of like a I don't know like magic to it as well like if you put a bowl of citrus limes or whatever on your um, kitchen table and then you have a mirror in the kitchen it'll amplify your food it'll amplify the lemons it'll make more because a mirror is like creating um, a duplicate essentially, but you shouldn't put a mirror in your bedroom because it's adding another person into the bedroom and that's oh. like haunted. Um, and but, but there's also just like an element of humanness to it. Like if you didn't believe in ghosts, if you didn't believe in hauntings, if you didn't know what feng shui was and you put, were putting your room in a bed, you wouldn't want your bed to be in a place where you like where someone opens up the door and they see you immediately in your bed. Like that's too vulnerable. You know, you would, I think automatically want to put your bed in the commanding position um, so that you're not directly from in front of the door but you can still see the opening and I, th I think that's like a human instinct of just constantly knowing where our exits are and always being positioned in the right way my dog would like go and find the commanding position in every room and lay down in it so um that makes yeah. that's like a point to ley lines as being just sort of like this inherent uh knowledge of where to put things if that makes sense right Right. So, yeah, uh, ley lines are um, adjacent or perhaps um, align with the idea of feng shui, that there are certain um, areas in your house or in the world that ha vibrate at a higher energy and certain places that vibrate at a lower energy. There are things you can do within your house to make it more haunted, um, to give it yeah. bad vibes, right? And then there are things you can do to bring about luck or good vibes. And again, feng shui needs to be its own separate episode so please don't leave a comment being like you didn't explain it properly i know that's too it's too big it's too big of a topic to explain as a theory what but, did you just send me here it's a picture of, yes of so, donaldson with just a bunch of like outlines lined. okay so the way that this concept of feng shui bad feng shui good feng shui energy vortexes and ley lines applies to doddleston and meadow cottage and possibly the haunting within meadow cottage is because if you look back on old 1800s maps of doddleston and the person who found this for me is dan the blacksmith who we shouted out at the beginning of the episode um he looked at these old tithe records for the church in Doddleston and found 
the overlay of where the older plots of land were divided. So if you zoom in on this map that I've sent Natalia, it has the old plots of land um, overlaid over oh, yeah, a modern that. map of Meadow Cottage. And you can see that those two plots divide Meadow Cottage yeah. in half. I see that. So, you know, perhaps applying some of these principles of lines and and feng shui, I think it would probably be considered maybe a bad uh, idea or bad sort of inviting bad energy into your home to have like the exact property line of two different old timey people divides your house in half. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's like um, two two it times literally the chances it to get half. haunted as well. Yeah. Because yeah. you're taking on the energy from two separate Great properties point. instead of one old property. But yeah, also, it's not that slay to be um, <laughs> <laughs> to be split in half, uh, like physically, emotionally, or oh, those are the only things, right? Physically and spiritually. emotionally. Yeah, <laughs> spiritually. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but the way that that, but also, yeah, to be split in half, can't we take that a step further and right. say split in half, um, living between two different worlds, the past yeah. and the oh, present. Wow. Like, the microcosm and the macrocosm. Okay, yes. I see what you're saying. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. And then here's here's the old timey map that shows these two plots of land. It's a map and it says Township Doddleson, Parish Doddleson, plot number 291, owners Thomas Umson. Oh, there was a Thomas that lived there. Um, yeah, two dwellings in a garden, whatever. And then plot 291 info says... The owners were John Roberts. It was a cottage. Oh, yeah. So these... I, I, what am I looking at? What is this? Explain this. Okay. So... <laughs> all right. I want... Just to end this theory quickly, because we need to move on. So the idea is that in the 1800s, you can pull up these old maps because the church started keeping maps because people used to be required to pay tithes. So tithes was a certain percentage of income, and the way your income was determined was also based on property. So the church started keeping track of who owned what in the in the uh, 1800s so this map of Doddleston shows that plot 290 and 291 were these old um old properties that bisect perfectly in half the right. modern structure of meadow cottage that's right. all I'm trying to get you to see I see that I see that. I saw that in the first map, though. But now I really see it. But now you really fucking see it. Yeah, yeah. and there was a guy named Thomas that lived in one of them. So if we think this was a trickster ghost, right. maybe he, like, is only giving a half-truth. And so he's like, my name's Thomas, and then just invents a different last name. Or maybe the ghosts knew what the people were named <laughs> who lived there <laughs> and is assuming their identity. Dude, I mean, you we now can make see? up infinite yeah, number of theories. Exactly. Okay, do you now see how easy it is? <laughs> To fall down the fucking absolutely insane, uh, just it's so it's not good for my mental health. Yeah, um, you got to be careful here. You got to be careful. Okay, theory number four, we have block universe theory, which we talked about in the intro to the Doddleston messages part one. It's, I'm not a scientist. I don't, I don't understand anything, to be honest, you guys. Um, I've gone way too far down all the woo-woo rabbit holes to be able to now bring it back to something scientific. But I think the point with block universe theory is that some people believe that the universe can be looked at as like sections 
of cubes where the past and present are within the same cube. So like the past could be happening at the it's same like time interstellar. as the present. The part where Matthew McConaughey is like he it, you guys, I can't explain it in Interstellar. It'd be too hard. But basically, there's this scene, spoiler alert, where Matthew McConaughey is an astronaut and he gets sucked into a wormhole and he goes into this like weird thing and it's a bunch of squares and a bunch of st- strings and he's in the future, but he can see his past and he starts like messing with these strings and cubes and it starts like having an effect on the past. And so he sends a message to his past self with these strings to get his past self to become an astronaut and go on this mission to save him because he's lost in outer space. And the only way he can get himself from the past to become an astronaut and save himself in space (laughs) is by giving him these like signals and signs um, by pretending to be a ghost literally in interstellar um, the daughter's like, there's a ghost in my room. There's a ghost. And the dad's like, what are you talking about? And the ghost like pulls out like different books and it pulled out like different books that made a code and the code was a location in space. And then Matthew McConaughey went to that location in space essentially. So this is literally interstellar. It's interstellar. Click on this fucking link. I just sent you. Okay. Watch Wait, this four no, minute wait. video. Okay, I'm sorry. This is a, this, this, this is a four minute video <laughs> by a, a name called death for us with 155 subscribers Tell me when you're pushing play <laughs> six years ago it's called past present and future coexist now time explained easy <laughs> i'm pressing play right now think of space time as a loaf of bread einstein realized that just as there are different ways to cut a loaf of bread into individual slices there are different ways to cut space-time into individual now-slices. That is, because motion affects the passage of time, someone who's moving will have a different conception of what's happening right now. And so they'll cut the loaf into different now-slices. Their slices will be at a different angle. That person who's moving will, will tilt the knife, will be carving out these slices at a different angle. They won't be parallel to my slices of time. To get a feel for the bizarre effect this can have, imagine an alien here in a galaxy 10 billion light years from Earth. And way over there on Earth, the guy at the gas station. Now, if the two are sitting still, not moving in relation to one another, their clocks tick off time at the same rate. And so they share the same now slices which cuts straight across the loaf. But watch what happens if the alien hops on his bike and rides directly away from Earth. Since motion slows the passage of time, their clocks will no longer tick off time at the same rate. And if their clocks no longer agree, their now slices will no longer agree either. The alien's now slice cuts through the loaf differently It's angled toward the past. Since the alien is biking at a leisurely pace, his slice is angled to the past by only a minuscule amount. But across such a vast distance, that tiny angle results in a huge difference in time. So what the alien would find on his angled now slice, what he considers is happening right now on Earth, no longer includes our friend at the gas station or 
even 40 years earlier when our friend was a baby. Amazingly, the alien's now slice has swept back through 200 years of Earth history and now includes events that we consider part of the distant past, like Beethoven. Is everyone just way smarter than me? The top comment on this is, is there an equation you can use to calculate how much motion and what direction affects how much time, past or future, at different distances? Okay, this is, I don't know, guys. This is all I want to say about it, okay? (laughs) So this idea of a block universe and uh, people experiencing time differently, Thomas Howarden might be living in a parallel universe. And then because he's far enough away um, in space time from like Debbie and Ken, he can be existing in the past while they're existing in the present. That's the idea. So yeah. for theories, theories four and five, I put man living in past slash future slash parallel universes um because that's that's basically what they're saying now we're gonna move on because i don't like that theory because it's just annoying to me because it it involves having to watch so many videos from people (laughs) at mit um so theory number six we're almost done here photography and or mind matter interaction so we kind of talked about this in part three of the doddleston messages um one of the like skeptic ideas that's also still woo like in the land of woo is that perhaps Ken or Debbie were so hyper fixated on this idea of a man from the past that they themselves by dedicating so much energy and thought to it created those messages themselves with their minds on a screen we talked about this before like a thought form kind Mm of um I don't know. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. I'm a big believer in manifestation. Um, Does that mean you can, like, manifest a ghost in your house or manifest a relationship? Like, can you be, let's say you're Debbie, can you be so open to the possibility of love with someone in another dimension that you open up a portal to another dimension? Or did you just want it so bad that you your body just made it happen for you kind of like a hysterical pregnancy or something i don't know i don't know i don't know what we're discussing anymore (laughs) Um, yeah so so the idea is maybe subconsciously maybe maybe something really did happen that was kind of weird right so maybe he brings home this computer puts the floppy disk in and just didn't notice the floppy but, already had a file saved to it and then he didn't see it and then later they find it they find this weird poem about a pussy pussy cat and yeah. they're like that's fucking weird um you know the internet doesn't exist there's no way for this to have shown up on here it must be a ghost and then subconsciously they're thinking about it so much that now through their minds, kind of like if you guys remember the story of the Belmez faces, which yeah. we covered a couple years but that's ago. Still paranormal. If they created, if they it created is. something that wasn't there with their mind, like that's still an episode, right? Like we could go down that rabbit hole and do another episode on that. In this theory, there is no ghost, right? Like they are like one of the theories in the Belmez faces that we talk about, which is a story of this lady living in Andalusia in Spain, and she wakes up one morning to find like this weird stain on the floor and the stain looks like a, a face and then slowly but surely all these faces start popping up all over her walls um 
in that episode, one of the theories was that she herself was so hyper fixated on this stain that she thought looked like a face that now she starts her mind starts creating faces through something called thoughtography, which is adjacent to mind matter interaction, which we talk about in the Randonautica episode that we did in the past, and that that is what is happening here. So in this theory, Lucas is not real. There is no ghost. But somehow, through their hyperfixation, Debbie and or Ken are causing these messages to appear themselves. It's still a paranormal theory. It's just a different kind of paranormal right. theory. Okay, theory number seven, aliens. At the end of the, ver- of the vertical plane, there is an entire chapter called Postscript written by Ken that discusses some communications that came through later after ufologist Gary Rowe was called in by 2109 to investigate the phenomena. On page 330, Ken writes that he sent a message to 2109 in January of 1986 asking 2109 if the phenomena at Meadow Cottage could be explained by UFOs. On January 18, 1986, 2109 allegedly responded to Ken with the following message, quote, Time, UFOs, and most other types of the paranormal are in some way all connected. In certain geographical locations, there is what we call areas of convectual magnetism. These can be explained by the magnetic lines that run around the Earth. Imagine, if you will, circles running around the Earth clockwise. These are positive lines of magnetic force, PLMF, and also circles running anti-clockwise around the Earth, negative NLMF. When two opposite running lines are crossed, usually a permanent crossing rather than random, the light-slash-time continuum is vastly distorted so much that a sensitive individual may witness what you may call a timescape. That is, a glimpse of a past event or a future event. Ah, we hear you say, but you said matter could not travel in time. This is true, as if matter were to travel by physical motion, then mass around the moving object would be so dense that the Earth and most other celestial bodies in your solar system would be consumed, or imbalanced in such a way that they would decay rapidly. Then how, imagine again please, a person from the future happily floating along in his silver spaceship, crossing an area of convectual magnetism, all of a sudden his instrument panel goes shaky, he may feel slightly dizzy or nauseous, a green mist caused by atmospheric distortion forms around the vessel, he then will probably fall into a trance state of such depths that his soul is squeezed through the light-slash-time gate and forced to project a physical mirror image of his or herself as a and then it says word missing of their place time origin and their immediate vicinity this can occur sometimes for only several seconds and does only register for that individual's subconscious but onlookers from the time which is broken into will witness the very physical sight and actions of this alien from another time then totally by confusion elaborate on the facts We are not saying that there is no other life outside of your planet. On the contrary, there is life elsewhere. But the above phenomena is the most usual, as space is infinite to the mortal, and the chances of another race coming across the Earth is not really in a bracket of possibility. There was once a great philosopher who likened time to an infinitely high block of flats, each floor to represent events all piled on top of one another, vertically to represent the geographical location and laterally to represent events, a little correcting finish after unsigned. Who said that? (laughs) 
It's unsigned, but Ken says in his postscript that he asked 2109 if, if like, aliens, essentially, oh. like, aliens or UFOs could explain the phenomena happening in the house. And then that is the response he received through the computer. He assumes it was from 2109, but it is technically unsigned. This is exhausting. It, it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. So what I have gathered from also reading different um, questions and answers on different message boards that Debbie has participated in, they seem to believe it is some sort of scientific explanation involving um, something with space and time and physics and something like that, something that can be scientifically explained rather than woo-woo explained. In one of the message boards that I am subscribed to, there's this person, and I don't want to dox them, but I all it's like this weird thing where I don't want to dox someone, but I also want to give them credit. So mm. I'm just going to say this person's initials. Their initials that they go by online are CP. They wrote, I have always been curious as to what 2109 meant in a message sent to Ken and Debs on February 16th, 1986, when 2109 said in a message meant for Gary Rowe, quote, May we remind you that you have seen some of our handiwork in Canada. Page 299 of the Vertical Plane, second edition. Over the past few weeks, I have scoured online for any strange phenomena. UFOs, entity reports, crop circles, time slips, strange disappearances from Canada from the early 1980s. I have been unable to identify anything that I consider satisfactorily pertinent to that message from 2109. There are no major UFO sightings or flap from Canada during this period. After sifting through considerable material, I have only been able to identify a series of major UFO sightings that occurred along the Hudson Valley between 1982 to 1986, a flap that inspired the book Night Siege, written in 1998 by J. Allen Hynek, a consultant to Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. These remarkable UFO sightings of a silent boomerang-shaped object occurred along the Hudson Valley, oh. mainly involving places in southern New York State and Connecticut, just south of the U.S.-Canadian border. Night Siege refers to 7,046 UFO sightings reports. This figure no doubt refers to individual witness reports, not separate incidents, although there do appear to have been a large number of the latter. They indicate, for example, that a large majority of the sightings involved a boomerang, triangle, or V-shaped object, which was mostly judged to be at least 100 feet across. Could this be what 2109 was referring to? Yes. Yeah, I mean, what else would they say? You saw our handiwork in Canada. That's their handiwork, right? So that, so that line from 2109 le leads a lot of people to think that it was some sort of alien extraterrestrial event that happened at Meadow Cottage because they seem to refer to, oh, you've already seen our handiwork in Canada. And the only thing you can find from that time period happening near Canada is a series of UFO incidents. Well, didn't like someone in that book say that they had seen 2109 and they were like w green with a cape? That was the entity referred to as the one. So oh. Lucas slash Thomas says that the one that brought him the glowing leams, a.k.a. computer screen, had a cape and was green <laughs> and glowing. Uh-oh. Did we just add on a bunch of other theories now? Because Probably. Probably. <laughs> but theory number eight, this is the final theory. A hoax. 
so a lot of people have long speculated that the whole incident of the vertical plane, the haunting at Doddleston Cottage, was a hoax. By who? Most people think by Ken. Some people oh. think by Debbie. Pretty much nobody thinks it was caused by Peter, and that's just because Peter was, like, not living in the house, right? So most people think it had to have been one or the other. Because and they just Debbie, go on their whole lives, like, not coming clean to it like the well, other person has yeah. wrote, written a book about it and the other person has like destroyed their life about it and they're just never gonna come clean like that is haunted in itself right look I'm not saying I agree with it but I'm gonna explain to you some questions that have been proposed some of which I was wondering about so something very curious to me again not saying that I agree that it's a hoax but just something curious <laughs> Um, if you are on some of these message boards where Debbie is active, you will notice that over and over again, she will talk about how images in the book, The Vertical Plane, are copywritten to her and Ken. And she'll talk about, so she'll be like, hey guys, here's a map that Thomas drew and I want us to all like crowdsource and try to figure out what this is a map of, but it's copywritten. You can't post it anywhere else. Now, this is interesting to me because Why it brings would they up care? An- like, wouldn't they just want it to be posted everywhere? And how do they monetize that? Like, well, why that's, would you- yeah. I mean, that's a separate issue, right? But I think the other interesting thing is you can't copyright someone else's work. So if this map is drawn by Thomas, they should have not been able to get copyright to it. So I don't know if they lied and said one of them drew it and then that's how they were able to get the copyright to it, to publish it in a book or to publish it online. Or this brings up an interesting philosophical question that I would like to pose to the audience. What happens when a ghost draws something? Does the person being haunted own the copyright or does the ghost own the copyright? And is there any pre-existing case law that shows us who owns something when a ghost draws it? And an interesting parallel or something that maybe could apply is do you remember when PETA, I think this was would have been when we were in like high school or college. I don't exactly remember. I want to say like 2010 maybe. There was this story in the news where A wildlife photographer had gone to a jungle, was taking pictures of monkeys. He set Mm. down a digital camera and a monkey came up and took a selfie. And it was Mm. really famous. It was the story of the monkey selfie. He published it in a magazine, got paid for his work. Mm -hmm. And then PETA sued him and they tried to say they were representing the monkey in court because the (laughs) monkey should have owned the copyright because the monkey took the photo. Now, this went all the way up into the Supreme Court. This poor photographer had to pay like thousands of dollars to fight PETA Mm -hmm. and he eventually won because the Supreme Court said that that type of right does not extend to non-human entities. But I have not seen anything about what happens when a ghost does something. But it is a human entity. It's a human entity. And keep in mind also that case happened in the U.S. And this story happens in the U.K. So I don't know, guys. I'm saying if we believe that Thomas drew the map, then in the U.S., they shouldn't be able to own that copyright. So how did they get 
that copyright. I don't know, guys. It's just a question I'm throwing out there. Maybe stuff is different in the UK. If you guys know any copyright lawyers, please leave a comment on the photo dump at Let's Get Haunted. It's just something curious I've wondered about. Because if it ever went to court and somebody was arguing on behalf of the ghost Mm -hmm. or on behalf of Thomas, would they then have to admit that they drew that map because if that's the case it unravels the entire story right wow i think you might have just really fucked up their lives with that yeah, one I but <laughs> i don't know maybe stuff's different in the uk guys. I, just something curious i don't know the answer to that question and um but but something interesting about it is that if you were trying to find this book with all of your heart's power with all of your resources with everything that you had why would you care about it like the images being copyright like you know what I mean copyright like you and I have this paranormal podcast we want to be successful but we don't limit the ways in which we are shared with other people because we want as like just to get out as much as possible yes And so I don't understand the motivation behind that. It kind of points towards either greed or pride or something. And those those two things make people act strange and do unpredictable things like hoaxes, you know? Yeah. Well, and also on one of the message boards, um, I saw that. Debbie and Ken had reached out to YouTube and I don't know if they're going to be successful or not, but they're trying to get somebody's channel like removed who's talked about the vertical plane. And I find that a little bit scary as well. Like, do they do they not understand that any like it's just all good press? Like, it's just going to make people want to buy your book. Right. So, I don't yeah, get it. I mean, it's hard to say on on one hand, I could see how it would be frustrating if you put out a story about something very real and personal to you that has a lot of like emotional weight. I could see it being um upsetting to then see somebody else like profiting from it in a way or somebody else maybe like spinning the story so her argument at least from what I read and again I don't want to speak for anybody but this so maybe I'm wrong but what I read seemed to indicate that the problem they had with that YouTube channel is that the person was quote-unquote like sensationalizing or like dramatizing Mm. like adding these like really over-the-top dramatizations Mm. and then and then they didn't like that. So I don't know. Again, I don't want to speak for anyone. And I definitely don't want our episodes to be taken down. But copyright, the issue of copyright is like discussed on a lot of these message boards where like don't post that without, you know, Deb and, Kinney and Kin's consent because it's copywritten. And I'm like, what am I missing here? Because if this was drawn by Thomas, then they can't own the copyright. Here is the final section of this episode. Homework. Okay, guys, I have some homework assignments. First assignment, I'm going to share my screen with you, Natalia, because I've posted this into different message boards. Now I'm like, also, though, I'm like scared because I'm like, is she going to listen to this and then like remove me from these message boards? I don't know. So I'm taking a risk here, guys. But I posted this four days ago. I said, I know this is a less important part of the story, but I've been wondering if anyone has found the song Debs hummed in her sleep while dreaming from Thomas's perspective in prison. Clues. 
On page 155, Ken describes the tune as follows. The song was a plain song or lament, but I could never catch the words and Debbie could never remember them. On page 157, John writes to Ken, he has kept alive so that the leaves still shines. I know this because I have heard him sing. There are few that sing in Latin in prison. Does anyone have any guesses as to what the song may have been? Since it is described as a plain song, I reached out to the Plain Song and Medieval Music Society. Founded in 1888, the PMMS primarily researches, promotes, and produces publications on medieval music, particularly the liturgical chant from that time to the present. They are currently looking for someone to speak to me about plain songs from the 16th century written in Latin. If you have any questions you'd like me to ask them, please let me know. I also stumbled across this book. For those who don't want to click the link, it's a book called The Plain Song of the Mass by Church of England. On page VII, there's a little list of the most popular Latin plain songs of the church divided out by century. I'll attach a picture here. There's also a version available for purchase on Amazon if anyone is interested in this little rabbit hole. And then I will post to um, the photo dump for this episode, I will post what these plain songs are. And then Debbie did respond and she said if anyone can send her um, some guesses as to what they think the plain song was, she will play them for Ken because she doesn't remember humming the song. Um, it was Ken who had heard her humming in her sleep. Oh. So that is one piece of um, homework wow. I would like people to look into to see if we can get somewhere with that. And then the second piece of homework I have, I am just opening it, uh, it up and then I will share the screen with you again. I would like to all of us to put our heads together and figure out what the book is. First of all, we need to be able to find the only way to prove that this story is real is to find the book that Lucas slash Thomas said he would be writing. Right? right. Now, there is another part of the story in the vertical plane. You guys may remember. I think we covered it in part two where um, Debbie is having a dream. No, it was part three. The sex dream essentially right the like romantic dream where by the fire yeah where lucas walks up to debbie and he hands her a small book and then he's kind of being evasive about it and then later she says um you know looking back i think that that book was a clue to be able to find the book that he wrote so i also posted i posted this to the vertical plane and the reason why i feel like i won't get in trouble for reading these is because it's stuff i posted so like i should own the copyright right so it says i said hi again new friends i apologize if i'm behind the curve since i'm new but one particular passage in the vertical plane really stood out to me and i was wondering what everyone else's thoughts were about it it's the passage where deb goes into great detail about a dream she had visiting lucas slash thomas and making candles page 181 in the version that i have Lucas hands her a book which is described as the only book from the teacher which he had not sold. The book is described by Deb as, quote, in Latin, no illustrations with a staff with two snakes entwining on it on the cover. It seems like this is a very important clue. Has anyone figured out already what the book is slash was? I assume that the staff with two snakes entwining it is a description of a codicus, which is the traditional emblem of the Greek god Hermes, messenger to the gods and the patron of travelers. This seems a very fitting piece of symbolism given the situation. If Hermes is the patron of travelers, I wonder if that also extends to time travelers. And the symbol being related to the quote-unquote messenger of the gods also fits in 
And then in parentheses, the fragment of poetry passed on to Lucas via 2109 comes to mind where they write, quote, this device is not incitement to evil, but the opposite of that, an angel of good fortune, page 114, and plenty of other religious imagery throughout. Could the book have been the Greek Corpus Hermeticum or the Latin Asclepius? The Greek Corpus Hermeticum was translated into Latin in the 15th century, so it seems feasible that a copy in Latin could have been in Cheshire in the 16th century. The the interesting part, to me at least, is that the Corpus Hermeticum is mostly just a collection of dialogue between different characters, not unlike the exchange of letters in the vertical plane. Here's a link to a modern English version on Amazon for those interested. Attached are some photos of older copies of the corpus found online with the Codicus. A copy from 1471 is currently on display at the Bibliotheca Philosophica Hermetica in Amsterdam. Anyway, perhaps this has already all been solved and I'm way off, but I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts. What do you think the book was? Edit. I forgot to mention in my original post that the Corpus Hermeticum has a tie-in with alchemy. The Corpus Hermeticum is a collection of treatises of a philosophical, religious, theological, as well as theophysical nature. The collection played an important role in the development of the philosophy of alchemy and hermeticism and formed the basis for an alchemist philosophy of nature. Because remember, some people thought that Thomas was an alchemist. That's also the symbol like on like it's like a medical symbol, like doctors and stuff is always that symbol of the two snakes intertwined around the staff. Yeah, but the original, it, it dates back to that's like something that was applied, I think, in the 19th or 20th century. I then posted, I said, here's another option. This is a book cover being held in the British Museum printed in August 1523 and Debbie responded saying that this is the closest to what she had seen that there were no wings which the symbol that you and I are are thinking of the more modern symbol that's equated to medical stuff has the wings so I'm going to post this picture that she said is interesting Um, I'll post that to the photo dump for this episode, but those are my two pieces of homework that I would like to give you guys to look into because I think to figure out the song yeah, and figure out the song, figure out the book, find the symbol. Okay, cool. Thank you for, for giving us a, uh, just some casual homework that we can definitely have turned in by next week. Right. (laughs) After I find the book and figure out the song. (laughs) Right. And then, um, The only other thing I have is Debbie did do a question and answer for one of these message boards. And um, Nat and I don't have time today to talk about it, but I might. Then you can find it on the Patreon because I will be putting it somewhere. Um, Like I said, I'm kind of sketched out now because I'm like, is our shit going to get taken down? Because we're violating some copyright by even like reading quotes or even like showing people different photos and stuff so i don't know guys taken down that will be wasted like 12 hours of our lives more probably 24 i I will cry i will go to court i will fucking fight this i think we should go to court yeah (laughs) no well natalia now that you've heard all of the different theories what do you think what do you lean towards? I don't know what to think anymore. Like, yeah. I can't remember which episode it was where I was like, I feel like my brain just got fucked like a million different ways. And I don't know. I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, I feel like you could convince me that I'm actually not a person like yeah. like I would be like well I, I think I'm a person and you'd be like well actually um, according to this and this and click on this link and, da, da, da. and by the end I would just be like. There's no, like, there's no arguing with you. Like, you know what you're talking about, and I don't. So you tell me what theory you think I should think 
<laughs> you, you guys, I don't fucking know. I'm very confused. Um, I think it's a great story. Um, I was telling this story to my boyfriend just because he's like a, an annoying known skeptic. And so I was like, what do you think? And he was like, oh, immediately without hesitation. He was like, well, didn't you say at the beginning of the story, Nicola asks for the computer to be brought home so that she can start writing a play? He's mm. like, this is probably just she started writing a play about this and Ken mm. thought it was interesting and started collaborating with her. And then they published that story that mm. they were writing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'd never thought of that. Um, that would be diabolical. And I need to find Nicola and be like, is that true? But then he um, wouldn't. Wh why would he say that in the book then? He wouldn't even like mention her. Her, her role in the book is pretty insignificant. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But that creepy <sighs> little Bogart drawing is just staring at me from the chat this entire time. And I really don't like it. <laughs> you guys, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what any of us think. We're all just little specks of dust floating on a planet in a vast yeah. array of nothingness. Perhaps the past, present, and future right. are all the same and free will is an illusion. I don't yeah. know, guys. <laughs> know. Tell us what you guys think. At Let's Get Haunted, leave a comment on the photo dump. Great job. I mean, standing ovation. I'm, I have a single tear running down my face yeah. and I'm doing a slow clap. Wow, thank you. Because this has just been um, your opus your opus magnifici ficus wow. whatever they say <laughs> thank you i feel like this is actually going to be my downfall i don't know why but i feel like somehow this will not bode well for me in the future um natalia would you like to do the sign off uh sure mm. brb gonna go find an ancient catholic liturgical hymn so i can figure out ali's homework bye, bye.